Welcome to Closing the Books, a podcast by IC System, your trusted subject matter expert for debt collection solutions. Join us as we discuss the biggest trends and topics in debt collection and explore account recoveries in an uncertain future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Closing the Books, a podcast from IC System. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Today, we're diving in and discussing tips and advice for writing a good collections RFP and getting vendor attention. And joining me today uh, to provide his expert analysis and insight on this topic is Mark Pollard, Proposal Manager for IC System. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, Mark, and to get your insight here on this topic. And so, Mark, for those unfamiliar, how does the RFP process work? Well, RFP stands for Request for Proposal, and the 10,000-foot overview is somebody, an entity, wants to buy something. So they write down everything that they want to buy, they write down what the requirements are, and they send those requirements requirement out into the world. So... Um, Prospective vendors can read them and decide if this business is a good fit. And uh, then in response, write a proposal. We um, send, we being all the prospective vendors, send our proposals in by a given due date. The, um, the buyer makes a decision based on the proposals, and maybe they move on to a presentation process, or maybe there are some clarifying questions. But the point of the RFP process is that it is structured and that it's deadline driven and that it's transparent and leaves a paper trail. So oftentimes in situations where the RFP process is employed to buy something, this is from uh, government uh, government buyers or maybe government adjacent buyers, you know, hospitals or utilities that have some government subsidy. But it can be anyone who wants to create a structured, transparent retraceable buying process so that they can look over how the decision was made. That's really interesting. So, Mark, I want to dive in and, and discuss your experience a little bit. And first of all, what's your background in answering RFPs and, and proposal writing? Uh, what, what has been your experience there? Uh, well, actually, you know, I, there's no um, college degree for it exactly. I suppose it's kind of marketing adjacent. Uh, my background is in education. I was an English teacher. I taught high school English for four years. And um, eventually realized that wasn't uh, the, the gig for me. You know, we could fill a podcast with the reason that teachers leave the teaching profession. But once I was out of the teaching profession, I found, well, what do I want to do with this English degree? You know, I'd, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd heard in college and, <laughs> and uh, job fairs, post-college, boy, your English degree, it sure is versatile and you can do all sorts of things with it. Uh, okay, so what? You know, there's journalism, marketing writing, marketing copywriting that can be done. And initially, that's what I did. You know, I had some writing chops. So I went to work for a small publisher in the Twin Cities of Minnesota and for four years did some marketing copywriting uh, for their website and product uh, and packaging text and so forth. Well, you know, in in that business and publishing, I I made some contacts and um, had the good fortune to uh, uh, have a door opened for me with 3M in St. Paul, big Fortune 500 uh, 500 science company, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. This was to be on their RFP team, a large RFP team. I was on a team with a dozen people, and we were not the only proposal team in the division in which I was working, which was traffic safety and security. So roads, reflective road signs and reflective uh, license plates and um, 
equipment. Boy, we sold a camera that was installed into police cruisers that was a li- automated automated license plate capture camera. So I found, you know, I came in saying, look, I've got no uh, proposal, uh, no RFP experience, no formal procurement experience. That they, they said that's okay. We're looking for someone who can write. Your your title will be technical writer, and the RFP team will use you. And and I, I learned everything at at 3M during oh three uh, four or five years that I was there uh, about RFPs. And I think most uh, most importantly, it was there at 3M that I was turned on to the trade group that I've proudly been a part of ever since called the APMP. This is the Association of Proposal Management Professionals. Became a member during my time at 3M. I've been a member ever since and gained accreditation with them. Well, eventually it came time for me to, to leave 3M. I was a small fish in a big pond over there and and come to a company. I was looking for a company that could be a bit more nimble and where I could have more of an impact and, and, and run a team of my own. And um, uh, an IC system has been that for me. Excellent stuff. That is, uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing the the personal journey that, that you have through this topic and and how you've gotten more familiar with it and uh, and your journey into it. So, uh, Mark, from your experience, let's draw on that experience a little bit. What kind of information do you see missing from collections RFPs that that you answer? It's tough for me to answer that question without, uh, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm uh, disparaging the buyer. I understand that when it comes to a lot of these government RFPs, they they've been using the same RFP literally for a couple of decades. Like they'll they'll release an RFP, and and an RFP, for the most part, it follows the same sort of organizational structure. There's a purpose statement. There's a statement of need, maybe a scope of work. Then it goes on to how responses will be evaluated and what are the weighting criteria with which it'll be evaluated. Well, sometimes we see RFPs that come out that it's a non-searchable PDF. It literally looks like a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox, and we're and 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 someone's just scanned it and put it back out in the world and changed the dates on it. So, mm-hmm. the the larger the entity, the more sophisticated their RFP um, operation tends to be. But we do a lot of business, and we're grateful to have it with smaller townships and municipalities where unfortunately we see these things, they haven't changed a whole lot in many, many years. And because, you know, we're dealing with procurement departments here who they're doing the best they can to buy everything for a city. If it's a city RFP, you know, they are responsible for trash, for trash collection services, RFPs, for, um, you know, construction that might be going on in the city for everything. And, and, and collections is just one part of that, a debt collection. So when it comes to debt collection, maybe they don't know exactly what to, to ask. They can sure go to their own billing and revenue department and kind of chat with those people about what they want in a collections vendor. But mm-hmm. um, we, don't, we don't really have any visibility to how those conversations happen. And oftentimes it's just the procurement department reusing, as I say, the same RFP that uh, they have for many, many years. So particularly what's what what's missing when it comes to collections RFPs are good numbers. I mean, many, many RFPs, most of them, say that they want a certain quality of skip tracing, that is finding people so that you know who to make the calls to and where to send the letters. They want a certain standard of respect and empathy for the residents or the taxpayers or the patients or the consumers whoever it is from whom we'll be collecting the debt. And they, they might say something like, uh, well, we've got parking fines. We're collecting parking fines. And 
we'll send you our annual portfolio of delinquent parking fines. And there's not a single number in there. There's no number with a dollar sign. So during the Q&A process, maybe you ask them, all right, how many how many parking fines do you, do you have in a year? <laughs> and they say, well, we right. don't know. It, it changes every year. <laughs> I mean, of course it changes every year, but you got to give us something, right? <laughs> um, okay, fine. What's the average balance of a parking fine? I, I've, I've and I'm using parking fines as one example, but take any sort of a debt and apply this to it during the RFP Q&A process. Um, well, what's the average balance? Well, it's anywhere between $10, and we have some that are up to $1,000. And you just kind of slap your head and go, well, of course, they vary, but what is the average? Because so much of our business is based around these really complex equations that we have that ultimately are, are designed to give the buyer the most competitive price possible. But for those equations to work, we've got to have as clear a picture of your debt portfolio as we can as early as possible. So oftentimes that's, that's, what, that's what's missing. Interesting. So if a government or utility company is writing an RFP, what's one piece of advice that, that you would give them? Is it um, thinking through the things that you just talked about? Uh, talk me through that, that piece of advice that you would give to, uh, to a government or a utility company. Yeah, I would say, you know, learn your own, um, uh, know your own debt portfolio before you go out to RFP to whatever extent you can. And know that the details of your debt portfolio are yours. Uh, you know, mm. I think that the hesitancy that I see with some buyers is they've been working with a collections vendor for a number of years. That collections vendor has accomplished a certain amount of success, has returned a certain volume of dollars to them. And when you ask them about that success, hey, look, what has your incumbent provider accomplished over the last, say, four years? They say, oh, boy, we don't really feel right about sharing that. It's kind of maybe proprietary to the incumbent provider, uh, as if the statistics are owned by that vendor. And um, no, I mean, particularly in the government uh, space, there's it's public records. Uh, we this is this is stuff that just philosophically should be shared, and 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 more than that, it, it should be shared, as I say, to help your collection vendor uh, or prospective vendors be competitive. And at the end of the day, competition is the point of the RFP process. It's about creating a level playing field and getting the lay of the land and seeing who can provide the best service at the lowest cost and making a decision based on those things. Well, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you don't, either because you feel your hands are tied or because maybe you secretly you want to stay with your existing vendor, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you undermine the competitive marketplace by not sharing all the information you can possibly share about your own debt portfolio. That's an excellent point. Uh, so if, if we turn our attention then to the vendor side of things, what's important to attracting vendors to the RFP? I think that perception of a level playing field is mm -hmm. what's most important. So, you know, there are a million little clues that when, a, when an RFP first comes out and we first vet it, um, that give us an indication of, um, boy, is this something we want to go on or not? At the end of the day, it's worth, our, is it worth our time? Because it's a big, well, it's, it's, it's kind of some complex mental math wondering, we're going to put X amount of hours into responding to this RFP. Uh, should we win? It's going to be Y or Z degrees of profitable, right? balance that against our actual odds of winning. And the odds of winning is in some way kind of this 
difficult, ethereal thing to put our finger on, right? But it's a gut feel, and it's a gut feel based on a few clues from past behaviors of that buyer. Well, you say they've, we can look because of public records, we can look at past relationships with collection vendors. Their incumbent vendor has been the incumbent for 20 years and has won the past four RFP processes. And even before that, they didn't go outside the town of any town USA. So they stuck to vendors within their own town. So mm -hmm. that can give you that right there can give you a sense that um, if you're out of this, that city or out of that state, you probably don't have a shot. There are some biases at work here. And and I think that when it comes to creating a genuinely level playing field and convincing the marketplace that your playing field is level and thereby attracting them to come in and compete, because after all, competition is what you want, it's about not sending those unconscious sort of clues that the, living, the, that the playing field is anything but level, you see. Right, right. Um, so I'm I'm going to uh, to rely on Professor Pollard here, uh, uh, former English uh, English teacher. You know, uh, to give us an, a sense of uh, is there a particular writing style to RFPs that you would advocate for using using that English background that you have there? There is, and and during my time during my time at 3M when my team was much much larger, I got some pushback on what I'm about to say here, but. Simplicity and readability is what you want, both in an RFP, but certainly from my side on the proposal side. Um, and when I say readability, I mean there's a there's an equation to establish that. There are a couple of them actually, but the one that I I employ is called Flesh Kincaid, the readability scale, uh, Flesh Kincaid reading ease, and it'll actually tell you. I mean, it's basically a measure of um, how many how many words per sentence and how many syllables per word and um, uh, Microsoft Word has a there's a way that Microsoft Word will do it for you and it'll tell you what the readability is of the thing that you wrote. Now I'm not suggesting that Microsoft Word dictate how you write your RFP. There are going to be times or how you write your proposal. There are going to be times when maybe a bit more complexity is warranted. But if you do a readability uh, a readability report, and you find that your proposal is written at like a twelfth grade level, that's not a good thing. It and 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 some people think, well, that means I'm writing at at, at an almost college level, and it shows the sophistication of my writing ability. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like <laughs> it shows your inability to to take on the work of the reader. Uh, and and simplify things for the reader so that the reader can be the one to uh, to feel smart, you know, to find what they're reading accessible and to genuinely understand it. You know, if I had my way, we would write proposals at an eighth or ninth grade level. And I want to be clear because this is exactly the pushback. You know, I, I heard people objecting to this in 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 my past professional life. Hold on, you think so little of the buyer that you think they're reading at only an eighth grade level. And no, that's absolutely not the case. I think every reader, even the most educated reader, needs, uh, wants, longs for the kind of reading that just gives their brain a rest and lets them understand things without really 
complex decoding and sort of complex, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of neurons firing in order to figure out what they're reading, you know, and 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 that's what it means for the for the writer to to take on the workload, uh, a part of the workload of the reader. You know, it's it's there's a quote a wise man once said, and this is probably one of a million quotes that is misappropriated to Einstein, but somebody said it <laughs> that. If you can't explain a thing simply, then you yourself don't really understand it. And even if you're at 3M selling complex adhesive chemicals or retro reflective sheeting with a certain amount of, of, of reflectivity, or, or you're here at a debt collection agency and you're talking about the sophistication of of, uh, of your collection software and your dialing strategies and so forth, Everything can be explained simply by someone with the chops and the will to explain it simply. And that's really what you got to do, because remember, the evaluators at the city side are not collection experts. They're people who have a limited attention span and whose eyes will glaze over and who want to get out of here by five o'clock. And they got a stack of proposals in front of them. And they're looking for one that helps them understand the best solution. I think that what you're describing makes a lot of sense in that you, you want to write for write in a way that shows that you understand your audience, understands uh, you know, where they're at and and uh, meets their needs rather than, you know, uh, something that is extremely wordy and verbose and shows that you have access to a thesaurus, right? That's right. That's right. And, and, and um, you know, it's an easy mistake for a writer to make to think when you write a proposal, you talk about the the company that you work for, and you talk about how, and, and you want to convey how knowledgeable the company that you work for is. Well, that's true, but it's not so true as you might think. I think more true is you want to talk about the buyer, and you want to talk about how you are you you understand their pain points, and you are the solution to those pain points. And uh, that that's a really much more personal, much more accessible writing that I like to think we strive for. That's a great point. That is a great point. So, uh, in that, uh, on that note, and in that vein, how can RFP writers ask better, more specific questions, and how can they get at differentiators and, and things along those lines as well? Yeah, differentiators are uh, you know differentiators are tough because we do a lot of public records requests, a lot of FOIA. We read a lot of competitive proposals, and you very quickly find. You and most of your competition are kind of saying some of the same things. You know, everyone wants to know that their collection agency has respectful, empathetic collectors who are not going to mistreat consumers. Every collection agency in the world says that they do. Everyone wants to know that, you know, their data is going to be protected with data breaches so prominent. And boy, there's a lot you can say where you put your money where your mouth is, where the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Here are the qualifications. Here are the certifications that we have. Here's where we're compliant. At the end of the day, everyone talks a big game about data security. You've got to be able to back it up with something. So I guess if you want to get to true differentiators, it helps really to know, to, to research the vendor that you're, uh, the industry for which you're purchasing enough to know where the real standards are. And rather than ask a very open-ended question like, explain your data security, you're going to ask something much more targeted like, um, are you 
PPMS compliant with the American Collectors Association or, or uh, the ACA International, you know, so showing that you've done a bit of research, just a bit, uh, you know, this is why the RFI stage or the pre-RFP stage can be so important. There, there's a thing in this in, in, in this business called the draft RFP. And just like it sounds, this is kind of a practice RFP that you put out to a few vendors and you're eliciting their input on, hey, do you think this RFP works? Would you know how to answer this? I'm not asking you to answer this thing yet. I'm asking you to critique the requirements that we have in the RFP. And I love draft RFPs because it puts me in a position of being able to help the buyer before they get to the RFP stage. And that's a thing that I hope makes my company memorable to them. Um, but it's also helpful to them, you know. It's going to help them put out a an RFP with bona fide differentiators uh, that seeks bona fide differentiators. So, Mark, as we come to the end of our conversation here today about RFP, uh, are there any final thoughts? Are there any conclusions or, or summary statements you'd like to make just to give people something to walk away with here today, um, here at the end of the podcast? So, anything you want to leave our listeners with here? Let me turn it over to you for any uh, closing thoughts. Yeah, I guess I would. Um Ask anyone putting out an RFP, uh, regardless of the business that you're in, if, if you're putting out a collections RFP, to go through it yourself and ensure that what you're asking has a counterpart in the evaluation section. So here are requirements. Here's how we're going to evaluate any proposals that come in. Seems like a simple thing, but you'd be surprised how often those two sections of an RFP are kind of, it's as if they've never met. You know, it's as if mm -hmm. the RFP's been written by a couple of different committees over a f several years. And that may be the, the case. It may be that organically an RFP has grown. And when, when a single document grows like that, and then is reused and reused and reused over several years, it can create sort of internal conflicts. And, um, you know, it's a great idea to review for exactly that and make sure that the basic logic of what you're asking and how you're going to score uh, what you receive in response to what you're asking line up. And then uh, the, the last thing I would say is um, just to repeat what I mentioned before, that the appearance of a level playing field is all important. I think one of the big reasons that our company decides not to go on an RFP is because little clues tell us, oh boy, we've got a less than 5% chance to win that because of all these circumstances that appear outside of the RFP, because we mm -hmm. can see who the incumbent provider is and how long the incumbent has been there. And uh, I don't want to say the fix is in, that that's too harsh, but it kind of feels like that, and we don't go after the RFP as a result. Wise words from Mark Pollard, Proposal Manager from IC System. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise on RFPs and uh, giving us some knowledge and insight here. It's been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, and, and yeah, thank you again for, for joining us here on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Closing the Books, a podcast from IC System. Of course, for more, you can always go check out the podcast in a multitude of different places. For instance, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more episodes of the show. You can also go to icsystem.com to stay up to date with the latest on the podcast and also news and other items and uh, also the different services offered by IC System. And so stay up to date with the latest. Go visit their website and stay up to date with the podcast as well. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes. We'll be back 
back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my guest today, Mark Pollard, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us.